Hey, what's up, guys? Hope y'all are having an absolutely fantastic day. Here we are stepping into another day of restoration where new life begins, embracing the truth and the reality that God has something absolutely amazing set aside for each and every one of us. I'm excited to see what that is here today. As we dive into God's Word, we are going to be in 1 Peter again. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Looking a little bit, we're going to talk real quickly about this, the, the salvation. Uh, there's three verses, four verses in there that address that, and then move into this issue of holiness uh, to describe the attributes and the character of God. So I think it's an important thing for us to really look at here today. Good morning. Uh, great to see you. I know when we discuss this idea of holiness, it's always something that people look upon it with confusion. They're not really certain how we are, how we're to approach it or what the word even says or means. And so we're going to talk about that here today because you, this is the main attribute of God, the main characteristic of God. Great to have you guys here. Great to see everyone. Thank you for spending some time here together in God's word as we dive into some truths here. There's a lot going on. Uh, I do want to remind you guys several things that we're going to have going on here over the course of the next several weeks and months. Obviously tonight, I know there's a big ministry, uh, women's ministry event. If you have an opportunity here tonight, uh, make sure you head up to church and, and just be a part of that. I think it's going to be amazing. The 1st of July, we're going to have a, a time of prayer and fasting. We're going to spend the month of July in prayer and fasting. So I would encourage you to think about that, uh, to think about maybe picking a particular day to fast throughout the course of the week and to literally fast from food during that day. Uh, rather than just doing it from social media, and I get it, we can do those things from social media and we can do that from, co from, from coffee or from chocolate or sugar or whatever else. But let's do it from a standpoint of what scripture talks about and let's maybe just intently address this idea of fasting because fasting always dealt with food, fasting from food if we physically can. And if not, just kind of work our way through that. So be thinking about that. Uh, again, something that will be coming up over the course, we'll be discussing more over the course of the next several weeks. We have our youth heading off to camp next Monday. There's, there's 115 of us. Uh, so I'm excited about that and, and what God has in store. The devil's attacking. The devil's trying to create conflicts in, in schedules already. Uh, so we see that. And I love it because parents are engaged. They're wanting their kids to be a part of camp. The kids are wanting to go uh, to grow in their relationship with the Lord. So there's some tremendous opportunity there. I'm going to go ahead, open us up with a word of prayer, uh, and then we're going to jump right into this passage here today. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you and thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and goodness, for your love and mercy, for the hope that we have in you and the salvation that comes through Jesus alone. Father, we pray for clarity. We pray for insight. We pray that we would set aside any distractions that we might have and that our focus would be on you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we are. Today, stepping into this, we are in First Peter. If you have your Bibles, uh, we've been looking at a lot, talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the impact that's there, talking about reasons why we have hope, why we can praise God every single day because of his faithfulness. Then he gets into verses 10 through 12, talking about salvation and the fact that the issue of salvation, the, the content of salvation has been there from the very beginning. Uh, and that the prophets foretold that, the prophets were looking at that, talking about it, addressing it, giving us insight into the Messiah, giving us insight into Jesus. So I'm just going to hit those verses real quickly, and then we're going to move into verse 13, which talks about holiness and what that means. So verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So they've been talking about this and seeking this since the very, very beginning. Uh, verse 12, 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So there's a holy curiosity that's been there that has always been there and that the prophets were always pointing us to Jesus and that we are truly a blessed people now because we have Christ and we can see him and to, to or see his impact and to see his work and to know that he is he is working in ways we can't grasp or understand but even to be able to look back at his life in Jerusalem his time his time in Israel where he's walking the earth and his ministry for three years uh, it's pretty amazing to see and that's what the prophets were pointing to then we step into verse 13 uh, and it talks about this idea of holiness and this is this is important. I think it's very important for us to really begin to address because I think it's a concept that oftentimes we gloss over. We know it's there. We know that we should talk about it. We know that it's important to talk about, but we're not really sure how deep or to what extent we really truly grasp what's being said here when we, when we look at this. Yeah. Holiness, picking up here in verse number 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace of to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's, we're kind of going to stop right there. The focus in all of this is going to be the holiness of God, where we find ourselves in the midst of all of that. You know, it's interesting most of us, I would venture to say, have, have a cell phone. And I would say as a child, maybe you had a, a, an answering machine at home. I remember the, the, the opportunity, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to be able to leave the message on the answering machine like, hey, this is the Baldwins. Thanks for calling. Leave a message. So cool, I thought. And it was interesting. I started laughing about that the other day when I was looking at it. And I thought about some of the ones, some of the cheesy ones that I've left, some of the cheesy ones that I've heard other people leave. And I just started looking at it because I was thinking, what would God say in an answering machine here's some ones that people left and i thought it was pretty pretty funny uh, hi john's answering machine is broken this is his refrigerator P please speak slowly and i'll stick your message to me when one of those little magnet things hello my name is Inigo montoya you killed my father now leave your name and number and prepare to die i was like man that's a little intense but bring back brings back the princess bride and then there's one hello i'm not answering the phone i'm trying to avoid an obnoxious person Leave a message, and if I don't call you back, you know it's you. That one really kind of resonated. I was like, that's, that's hilarious. Because if you haven't learned this about me, I'm a little bit of a texter. I will, I will watch you call me. And, and, and granted, most of the time I'm in meetings. Like if you call me right now, I'm going to see that it's there. And I'm going to be like, and actually somebody just called about like 30 seconds ago, which is hilarious. So I can see that it's calling, and I'm, I'm usually in a meeting or I'm usually having a conversation. So it's like, all right, send me a message, and I can have that conversation with you. And if I don't have your name saved into my phone or, I, or it doesn't post who you are, I'm not going to answer that thing because I'm not sure who you are. I'm going to wait until you leave a voicemail, and then I'm going to call you back. But I started thinking, what would God leave on an answering machine? If he had an answering machine, what would it be? And this right here kind of hit me because I started thinking about Leviticus. I started thinking about this passage right here. Hello, this is God. I am holy, so you be holy too. Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Literally, that's what we see God talking about here is his holiness and how we're to respond in all of this. We are to, we are to have this reverent fear. We are to respond with grace and love and goodness. But how are we to respond to him 
in his holiness and to understand his holiness. That is hilarious. I love that, Carrie. He used to say, this is the bad cave. We're out fighting crime. That's awesome. So what do we do here? Where are we going with this? When we look at the word holy, this is one of the most commonly used words in the Bible. Batman said holy, talked about it, where you're talking literally everything. Batman and Robin, did you know that? It was like holy Toledo or holy gas tank or holy whatever. That was kind of Batman and Robin's add-on to whatever was going on in that moment. But when you look at this right here, holiness is one of those amazing attributes of God. Now, if somebody were to define you, would the word holiness come up? If they were to look at you and say, this person is friendly, they're funny, they're loving, they're compassionate, would holy be a word that they would say? And let's be honest, how do you feel about the word holy? Is it one of those words that emotes some type of positive feeling? Or does it bring about some type of fear? Help me out here. What do you think? When you hear the word holy, describing God or maybe even describing some situation, how, how do you feel? What word comes? Would you want someone to describe you as holy? I think we're in, we're in a Bible study, so clearly holy is an important thing. So you're like, yes, I would want to be described as holy. But what kind of emotions emerge when we discuss this word holy? Because if we look at this, oftentimes, all right, it conjures up the idea of, of being sinless, which is a bit of an overwhelming task, isn't it? And if we're honest, looking at scripture, we should be honest. First John says, if we have no sin in our lives, then we call God a liar. So we know sinlessness is not something that we can attain. So it feels like, man, this is, that's, that's going to be tough. How else do we respond? And I know that when you think about derogatory statements that people will make about Christian, Christians, they'll, they'll describe them as holy rollers or holier-than-thou mentalities, this self-righteousness that seems to emerge. It's not always a positive comment there. Now, oh, right, nice, Lisa, not worthy of being holy. We feel that's only God, absolutely. Now, John, excellent. You are getting into what it specifically means. The language itself means to be set apart. We're going to talk about that because there's two different words used to, to, to as holy, translated as holy, one for the Old Testament, one for the New Testament. Both of them mean the very same thing because we're going to look at this. I think oftentimes when you hear the word holy, in my mind, what conjures up what, it, what image is conjured up is the image of church lady from Saturday Night Live. Do you remember any of that stuff from decades ago? I feel like that was when it was safer to watch certain things on TV. But SNL, my dad used to watch that. So I, Saturday Night Live, I'd watch with my dad. And church lady was always that one. But you visualize that one. And you're like, that's it. It was almost like this legalistic mentality of you have to respond this way. You have to act this way. It was how you dressed. It was how you talked. It was what time you showed up. It was what people you hung around. That's what defined your holiness. And that's really cool. I, I, I love that, Rebecca, just having people who would say that and, and remind you of that uh, and, and be able to, to bring about those memories there. Absolutely. Some people think of it as evangelistic. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about this. Holiness, being holy, is something we should long for because the objective as a believer in Jesus Christ is to be like Jesus Christ. And Jesus is holy. So that's the goal and the purpose of, of the movement, the sanctification that takes place in our lives. Now, the primary attribute, that's, this is what we have to get into and understand. The primary attribute of God is holiness. Now, remember, I told you, if you're taking notes, I think it's wonderful. We remember 10% of the things we hear. We remember 40% of the things that we write down. And I'll repeat that over and over again so that you guys know that. But when we look at this, 
Holiness is the primary attribute of God. Now, there are many words that describe the character and the nature of God. We read that God is spirit, that God is light, that God is love, that God is merciful, that God is our shepherd, that God is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. God is Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. He is El Shaddai. He is the Almighty One. I could go on and on talking about the names of God, listing the character attributes of God. We could spend a lot of time in there. And you know, Debbie, what's absolutely hilarious is I was thinking the exact same thing. The, the hymn that is in my mind, that comes to my mind, is holy, holy, holy. And I could sing that one over and over again because it is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful hymn. But when you look at all of these words, the one that matters, that, that just clearly grabs a hold of everything is the holiness. God is holy. In Isaiah 6, the prophet had a vision of the Lord high and lifted up. And in this vision, the seraphim, they're hovering above God, shouting to each other. And what are they shouting? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. In the Bible, we often find that word holy repeated three times. Three seems to be this, this divine number indicating Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a beauty to that, holy, holy, holy. The angels aren't saying it one time or two times. They're saying it three times. There's perfection in that statement, in the holiness of God. Now, what does that mean? This is what we see. God is holy. Okay, how does that apply to us? How do we understand that? The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for the word holy is kedah. It literally means to cut apart, to separate. The New Testament word is hagios, which has the same root word for sanctified or consecrated, which means to separate, to make sure that it's distinct, to make sure that it's different. So for a working definition, we learn that holiness means, just like John said, to be set apart, to be different. For example, we have the Holy Bible. We, what, what does that mean? The word biblios simply means book. So if we're taking a literal translation here, Holy Bible means the set apart book. A book that's wholly different from everything else. There is not anything like this book because this is the book written by God. This is written, and it's beautiful. When you start looking at this, there is no other book in all of creation, in all of literature, that is like the Bible. You have 66 books put together by 40 different authors over 14, 1,500 years, written in three different languages on three different continents, and all of them point to the same thing, that Jesus is the Messiah. All of them are pointing to Jesus. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. There's nothing like that. So the Holy Bible, the set-apart book, is very distinct, and that's what is unique about it, being inspired, absolutely perfect, inerrant. There's no error in the Bible, and that's what's, what's interesting. This is, that's one of the things that's been arising here lately, particularly in the last decade, is this idea that there are errors in the Bible. I told you before, that's a lie. When you look at this, and it's not just because John says it's a lie. It's a lie because the facts talk about that. It's a lie. Everything that's been done, the 23,000 archaeological digs, all of the literature that's been found, all the new things that we have discovered consistently point to the validity of Scripture and the fact that the Bible is 100% accurate. Now, if there's something in there that I don't understand, the problem is not with Scripture. The problem is that I don't get it. Remember, context matters. This is written by an infinite God. I am a finite being. I am not ever going to fully understand God, and I am okay with that. I'm truly thankful for that. It gives me hope that there is, there's, there's a higher being guiding me and directing me, and I know that because it is God the Father. We have the Holy Spirit moving. We have Jesus who has already 
that paid the price for our sinfulness. So there's beauty there. Now, what's hilarious? What did we just talk about? Phones ringing. Yes, my phone literally just rang right there. So we see all of this, and I have to give somebody a text message here in a few minutes and tell them, hey, sorry about that. I'm in the middle of a Bible study. Now, the psalmist says about God and the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He's more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. In heaven, John saw heavenly creatures praising God, and he recorded, look at this, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, when I look at this, when I think about this, again, one of those hymns that sticks out to me is holy, holy, holy. I love that. This is the primary attribute of God, and it means to set apart. He is set apart. There is none like him. There will never be any like him. He is the one true and living God. Now, let's talk about this. Our holiness, our holiness <laughs> is a reflection of God's nature. God is holy. What does that mean? We are to be holy. In this passage right here, Peter gives us some pretty practical advice on how to reflect God's holiness in our lives. He doesn't just say be holy and then leave it up to us to figure it out. That's a mess. That would be a cluster right there. He says, this is how you do it. Starting there, verse 13, he gives us five very specific areas of our lives where holiness operates. Now, if you want to be holy, you must understand holiness involves this. Here's the first thing. We're going to get through, try to get through a couple of them here today. The first is this. Holiness involves your mind. you got to make a decision to be holy. Peter writes, prepare your minds for action. Being holy means it begins with the right attitude. we got to have the right attitude. You have to decide that you want to be holy. You have to make a decision right here. The King James translation says it like this. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, back in biblical times, men wore long flowing robes. So to gird up your loins if you wanted to run meant you pulled that up so that you could run easier, much, much easier. Well, he's saying right here, you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to remove the distractions, the things that are flowing. You have to make a conscious decision that this is what I want to do. We would translate it maybe a little bit better for going out working is roll up your sleeves. It's time to get to work here. We've got to have a desire and that begins in our mind. It can't be based on emotion. It has to be rooted in truth. So we get our minds ready. Peter is literally saying, get ready to be holy. Now, I think about all of this, preparation, preparing for growing in our faith. How do we do that? When you get up for work in the morning, we prepare for work. We get up, we get dressed, we brush our teeth. Maybe we've taken a shower. We've done all these things to get ready. If you're playing a ball game, what do you do? You prepare. If you're going to play a football game, what do you do? You exercise. You run. You have practice. You put on the pads. You make sure that everything is put together correctly before you step out on the field. Why? Because you're preparing to step into this. It begins in the mind. You've got to be willing to put forth the effort. A.W. Tozer wrote this. The emphasis of the New Testament is not upon happiness, but holiness. God is more concerned with the state of people's hearts than with the state of their feelings. Go to God and tell him that it is your desire to be holy at any cost and then ask him to make you holy whether you're happy or not. Be assured that in the end you will be ha as happy as you are holy, but for the time being, let your ambition be to serve God and be Christ-like. Again, I've shared this with you before. My concern, my prayer for you, for me, for all of us is this. My prayer and concern is more for your holiness than your happiness because Holiness, again, is a reflection of that, that primary attribute of God, and it should be the primary attribute of us. 
the holiness, as we seek to be set apart, as we seek to be different. But that begins in your mind. The second thing you recognize is this. Holiness involves your will. You have to practice self-control. Now, we talk about fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is one of them. Peter writes this. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Your will is the part of your soul that determines what you do, where you go, what you say. In our world, maybe we translate it willpower. And some people would say, man, we don't have very much willpower. You walk by that food, you see that muffins over there, you know you shouldn't eat all that sugar, and you eat it anyway. We, we would define somebody as saying, man, my willpower is terrible. But we have to make a conscious decision and follow through with it. And it's not just a matter of saying no to certain things, because I think that's an interesting thing. We talk about sin. We have to be willing to flee from temptation. We looked at trials and temptation yesterday and the difference that's there. When we look at temptations that are presented to us, it's not just a matter of running away from the temptations. We should flee from the temptations. But what does scripture say? God makes a way out for us. All right, so we leave those temptations. But now what we have to do is rather than leave us with that emptiness, we've got to fill it with something else. So we've got to have this holiness. We've got to move away from that sinfulness, but then fill it with biblical truth. Fill it with opportunities to serve. Fill it with ways to connect with people. That's essential to helping us grow in our relationship with the Lord. And so what we see here is, yes, we're going to make that decision in our mind. Then we're going to make sure that our body follows suit and, our, and, and we, we carry out the task that we put in front of us that we have in our mind so that it's important to show this self-control that we have there. Coming together for a Bible study at eight o'clock in the morning, that's an, that's an issue of self-control. That is a matter of the mind. You made a conscious decision. Hey, I'm going to do this. You got up, and now you're participating in this if you have the time. Now, maybe it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon or it's 10 o'clock in the evening, and you're watching this because that's when your schedule allows you to do that. But you're still making a conscious decision. You're still setting aside some time. I'm working on my dissertation. I can't tell you the times that I get frustrated with I need to do my work, and I finally sit down to, to write or I sit down to, to study or to read, we have to make conscious decisions and then follow through. The third thing about holiness is this. It involves our future. It is hope based on God's grace. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now that phrase means to establish completely your hope. Completely establish your hope. Now, what is hope? Let's think about that. Let's kind of define that. Titus chapter 2 Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is hope? How would you define hope? That's a great thing for us to think about. Help me out here. How would you define hope? If somebody were to come to you today and say, I need hope, and you would say, I've got hope, this is what hope is, what would come out of your mind? What, what would be the following sentence there? Because I think it's important, all right, to believe, sure. All right, and I think clarifying what we believe in or who we believe in. Oh, I love that. Lisa, absolutely. The hope that I have is, is Jesus. So what does that mean if we go a little bit further in this? How does that apply to our lives? Because there are a lot of people today who know about Jesus. There are a lot of people who read about Jesus. Sadly, there are fewer people who know biblical stories. I've told you the biblical illiteracy in our country is astounding, even among churches. That's, that's insane. Faith in our Lord, absolutely. The, the sure thing that something is going to come to pass, absolutely. I love that. Something that's not controlled by our ability or, or, or for our outcome, but we, we have a hope in Jesus that there's something greater coming up, a desire for something yet to be attained. He is our hope. Now, here's the thing. How do we know... How do we know about the hope of Jesus? 
Where do we glean that that understanding or, or have that clarity? Where does that come from? Not stressing, absolutely, Alexis, and, and taking things on our own and instead relying on him. That's a true thing, right? Absolutely, and it is extremely difficult. Vody Bauckham always says, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Absolutely. All right, so we find that in the Bible. Sure, we've got the Bible, but the Bible could be laying out on our table. What, what do we do with the Bible? What do we, what do we, how does that impact us when we talk about the Bible? Because I'm going to grab a hold of this here in just a second, all right? The testimony of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that too because I think it's amazing when you look at what Scripture says, the Holy Spirit guiding us. We talk about all of creation proclaiming whew, the holiness of God. I'm hitting my microphone over here. All right, the learning, the reading the word, the relationship with Jesus, the applying that word to our lives. You know, one of the cool things I've seen uh, over the last several years is not just a desire for the word of God because that is there in our church, but what I see is this passion to want to tell other people about it, to want to, to share that truth that's there, uh, to have faith, absolutely, to know that he has been dependable. Do you realize that there is not one single time in your life that God has ever failed? There is not one time that God has ever failed you and that's fascinating if you, get, if you get back to it and really get honest about the whole thing. Even in our selfish desires and in our selfish attitudes, God has still never failed us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says this. And I think you're right, Carrie. There is a disconnect between reading and applying. And you're right. The more we're learning, the more we want to share. We take a, we take a, a, there's just a passion there. But look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also perform themselves, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, 